Awesome. Well, welcome everyone. It's good to um, have you here. Start of school holidays. Uh, it's always a good time. We're off to youth camp this week and um, Generosity Sunday. And then right now we're going to wrap up our series on um, Not So Among You. So if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at this series, exploring um, what does it mean uh, to serve with love, really. And throughout this whole year, we've been going through a theme of being mature, mature disciples. What are the traits of mature disciples? What are the things that we look for? There's sort of six um, things, I think, there. We've got them on, you know, the six traits that we've been looking at. We're up to our second last one. We've got one more to go. And um, the thing with these traits is that the things that we look for, but they're also aids to becoming. If you were to think of, um, you know, what are the traits of a good soccer player? You'd say, well, there's sort of the physical aspect of like speed and stamina, strength. There's technical aspects like passing and shooting, dribbling, your first touch. And I guess there's like the mental aspects of like your vision, awareness, determination, things like that. And they are traits. So they're things that we look for to identify someone who's good at soccer. But they're also then areas that you work on if you want to become good at soccer. Does that make sense? So in the same way, these traits then are things that we want to look for and things that we want to be, I guess, developing in ourselves and in each other. And as well, they're areas that we can then, okay, this is something I can work on and grow on, grow in to then become more like Jesus, to become a more mature disciple. And that's really the journey of discipleship is becoming more like Jesus as we follow him. So that's what we've been looking at over the course of this year. And um, like I said, over the last few weeks, we've been looking particularly at this serves out of love. And to do that, we've been sort of basing our series on this phrase that Jesus used when he says, not so among you. It's in Mark chapter 10. um, And the context of the story is really interesting where Jesus, um, where James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they are like, it literally means sons of thunder. I just think that's the coolest nickname for any brothers ever. We're the sons of thunder. Anyway, they come to Jesus and um, they ask him a question. They ask, can, who, can we sit at your right and left hand in heaven? That's a pretty big request. We want to be in the places of honor in heaven. And Jesus sort of gently, politely shuts them down, says, that's not quite for me to decide. But he asks them, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm drinking? Are you willing to be baptized? Are you willing to go through what I'm going through? And they say, yes. And he's like, you're right. You will. And you will do it. And it's great. But the places of honor, that's not for you to, that's not for me to decide. And then the other 10 disciples hear about what's going on. You can imagine the other 10 hear about this request and they're like, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think going to ask Jesus this question? Do you think you're better than us or whatever? And there, it says there, they were indignant at James and John. And so Jesus, sensing the tension, sensing a bit of the hostility, he calls everyone in and he says these words. He says, you know that the rulers, the, the ones over the Gentiles, they lord it over other people. They use their authority for themselves. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever must be first among you must be slave of all. 
For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you know, you know that everyone else uses their power, their influence, their position, their status. They use that for themselves. Everyone around us, that's how they're living. We we live in a self-serve world. And it's true for Jesus in his time. It's true for us in our time that we look after ourselves first and foremost. And Jesus says, not so among you. It's pretty challenging words. And he says, we're to be a servant. And obviously he says that himself, that he is the ultimate example. The Son of Man came, you know, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a Like, Jesus the one person that could come to earth and say, minions do my bidding. Do you know? Like, he's the one person that could, you know, get everyone to do what he wanted. He deserves that. And yet he comes and says, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to serve. And like we talked about that first week, we follow the servant. And we serve with love. And today we want to look at what it means to be a servant or a slave according to the path of all. What does all look like? Because the reality is, probably a lot of us, we're, I would say we're pretty good at serving. We're pretty good at serving our family, laying ourselves down for the people around us, you know, sacrificing for our close friends, maybe even people in this room. Like, we're, we're, we're relatively good at that. And many people, like our culture is good at that the whole mateship sort of thing of Australian society. Like, we're good at laying down our lives for a good cause or for the people that we love. But the thing is, we're called to be servants of all, not servants of some. That's what Jesus says there, to be servants of all, not just some. So what does that look like? Because that's, all of a sudden, that's a much bigger question. That's a much bigger thing that we're looking at. Luckily... In the Bible, we have a story where, Je- where someone asked Jesus a very similar question, and we have their conversation recorded. And so we're going to read that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of you will know it. It's on the screens if you want to follow along. So we're going to pick it up in verse 29, but just to fill you in on the context, we have a lawyer who comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get into the kingdom that you're talking about? And Jesus responds to him, well, do you know the law? Like, how do you read it? What do you understand? That's what you should do. And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then we pick it up in verse 29. Where it says, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. I mean, let's just pause there. Dangerous position. If you find yourself trying to justify yourself in front of Jesus, I would suggest think again. So the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Just to give you a bit of a rough idea, it's about here to the CBD. It's about a 30-kilometer journey. Would have taken half, if not most of the day, a downhill trek down the mountain. So they're walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this man, he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, which is roughly two days' wages for a laborer, so a few hundred dollars. He takes out two denarii and gives them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus asked the lawyer, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer replied, The one who showed him mercy. So Jesus said, Well, go and do likewise. We're going to talk about three sides to this story um, and what it means for us as we consider the neighbor, the all, and the people that appear in our path by chance. I don't know if you read that there, like by chance, they just happen to come along this man. So what does it mean for us? Firstly, I want to talk about the other side. The other side is, you know, where the priest and the Levite end up. They both come across this man in need by chance. It just says, by chance they came across him. They're walking the road just like everyone else. There would have been a number of other people walking this road, and they see someone in need. And according to Jesus in this parable, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is the person on your path in need. And yet both the priest and the Levite pass by on the other side. They take a little detour, they leave the man, and they walk on. Even though, like for a priest and a Levite, they would have known all the laws. Like Jesus is very intentional with the character choices he makes in his parable. It's not just he thought, oh, they're the first two names that came to head. Like these are people that would have known the law. They would have known, you know, exactly what God had required of them. To love mercy, act justly, walk humbly. Like they would have known all of these commands all throughout the Bible to look after the poor and needy. And yet they pass by on the other side. The priest and the Levite were people that would have been serving in the temple. They would have been doing the right things. And I think the scary thing for us is that, you know, sort of like we talked about last week, you can, t- you can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. So you can serve and you can be in the house of God and you can do all the right things and you can do that without love without love for God and without love for people. And for me, that's a scary thing because, you know, we can do it all and we can look the part and yet we can do it without love. See, remember the whole context of this story, the whole context of it all is what does it mean to love my neighbor? And Jesus uses the example of a priest and a Levite, people who are in the house who are serving, but are serving without love. That we can, like I said, we can look good. We can look like we're ticking the boxes. People can look at us and go, oh, what a great person. They're doing so much in church. They're doing so much for God. And yet you can do that without love. For me, that's a scary thought. But 
You cannot love without serving. And so this morning is really about having a heart change. Not a behavior change, but a heart change. Because, you know, behavior can change and, you know, that's great. But unless our hearts change, then like we heard last week, if we have not love, we're just a clashing gong. If we have not love, we have nothing at all. See, because according to the Bible, love involves sacrifice. You know, in 1 John it says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So often the New Testament links love to sacrifice. Because you cannot love without serving. And so these priests and the, the Levite, they pass by on the other side. I don't know if you guys have ever done that, passed by on the other side. I, I've become somewhat of an expert at it when going to the shopping center. I don't know. When I go to the shopping center, I am like, bang. I have two things I need to get, and that's where I'm going, and I'm out. I'm as quick as, as, quick as I can. I don't want to mess around. I don't want to talk to anyone. And so a few months ago, my, um, my, my, it was bit, my MacBook died. All right? It was like serious, like I've lost everything. Everything from the last year, I've lost it. I don't know what to do. And so, you know, emergency panic mode, straight to the Apple store. But the one in Fountain Gate was the only one that had an appointment in the next day. So ran off to Fountain Gate. And like I haven't been to Fountain Gate for a while. It's pretty big. And like I'm unfamiliar and I'm trying to figure out where the heck is the Apple store. That's all I need. All I need is the Apple Store. And I'm like looking on my phone, blah, blah, blah. And then in the distance, I see a teacher from high school. I'm just like, oh, you're joking me. Like, I've been out of school now for like nine years. I'm like, I don't want to have that awkward, you know, small talk. I just want to get to the Apple Store. And so what do you do? You see him on the other side. You take a few steps. You put your phone down. You start looking. Oh, I got a call. And he's keep walking, and you focus, you know, and look, it's a silly example because, you know, it's one thing to avoid conversation, but it's another thing to avoid someone in need. But, you know, we would never do that, right? So the reality is we always pass by on the other side. We've become masters at it because we're so focused often on ourselves. We're too, too busy, too tired. I need a night at home or... I'm not sure if I can sustain this long term or I've got other plans. And look, sometimes there are legit reasons for passing by on the other side. Sometimes there are fair enough reasons for doing it. But I think more often than not, I look at my life and I think it's a priority issue. It's a priority issue. We could change things around, but the reality is we don't really want to. Because if someone in my family called me up and said they've got an emergency, I would stop everything and I would go and help. No matter what needed to be done, I would go and do it. But the person that I'm walking by in need, on the road, I pass by on the other side. The way I always think about it is this. If someone came and offered me tickets to see John Mayer tonight, and they were the best seats in the house, I would move heaven and earth to get there. Yeah? 
like I would do what I would call out the boss and say, hey, mate, I've got to leave early. Um, I've got a big thing on tonight, but I'll be in early tomorrow and I'll make up the time. Like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do an extra four hours if you need to. But I need to leave at four o'clock to get to this concert. It's a, it's a priority issue. Because if there was a, a super high priority thing that came up, we would, we would move our schedules, our plans, our lifestyle around to sort it out. See, passing by on the other side is not about when there's legit reasons to do so. It's, the concern for me is more when it's actually just too much of a disruption to my own way of life. Or it's too much of a disruption to my comfort or my plans, or my lifestyle. I don't know if I want to share a room with my brother so that I can open up a room for someone else. Like, I could if I really needed to, but I don't really want to do that. Because I'm comfortable. I like how my life is, and I don't want anyone to mess with it. Because on the opposite side to the other side is the messy side. See, if we're to pick up the man who's half dead on the ground that we can easily walk past and detour, if we're going to help him out, it's going to get a bit messy. See, here comes the Samaritan, enters the story. And the thing is, the Samaritan, he was the one that had a justified excuse to probably walk on and pass by. There was open hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. They did not like each other. And so for this Samaritan man to come, like he could justifiably, I think, he has a fair enough reason to walk by because we don't like each other. Like it's, I don't know what the modern day example would be, but, you know, it's just like there's enough distance there to pass by. But yet he's the one that stops and serves. And it's messy. Like you've got to remember that this is a man who's half dead. Like he would have been beaten to a pulp you know, and yet here comes the Samaritan and he wraps up his be- wounds, covers them up, picks him up, lifts him up onto probably the donkey, then has to walk the rest of the journey on foot, gets to the inn, sorts out a room for him, pays for it, two days wages, probably enough to purchase the room for two months and says, oh, and on my way back, I'll fix up any other costs that you've got. I- I'll sort it out. Like it's a significant detour to his journey. It's a significant disruption. It gets a bit messy. And I think too often in churches, too often in my life, I refuse, I avoid serving my neighbor, serving all, serving the poor and the needy, serving people different to me because it gets a bit messy. This isn't an issue about being part of the church family or, you know, loving our neighbours when our neighbourhood is perfectly ideal and all of our kids play sport together and we have dinner together once a week. Like, the ideal neighbourhood, that sounds really nice. Like, that's not what this story is about. It's about when there's a barrier. There's a Samaritan man and Jewish man and there's a racial barrier in between them. And Jesus says... That's what it means to love your neighbor. When there's a distance, when there's a gap, when there's a barrier, whether it's racial, religious, whether it's to do with social standing or political beliefs or whatever it is. Jesus says, when it comes to loving your neighbor, they do not apply. 
sure, we need to speak the truth, and we need to speak the truth in love, and we've talked about that previously, but Jesus says we're called to be a servant of all. We're called to pick them up, put them in the car, drive them to where they need to go, pay for the expenses. It gets a little messy. You know, when I was, um, when I was younger, I used to, when I was playing soccer, um, you know, kids, you guys won't know this, but Knox Park used to be a pile of mud. It was disgusting. And as a young kid, I would play soccer, but I would hate the mud. I'd do everything I could to avoid it. Even if the ball, like if the ball got a bit muddy, it hit me on my leg. Before proceeding to play this match that's going on, I would stop, rub the mud off. My mum and my dad would confirm that it's true. I used to hate it. Do anything I can to stay clean, not get muddy. I would stop playing the game because of the mud. And I think so often that's the picture I think of my life. That I'll do anything I can to sort of not mess up what's going on right now. That I kind of like the way the game's being played when it's nice and clean and, you know, I can do what I want and, you know. But when the disruption comes, when the mess comes, when the mud comes, you know, I just want to dust it off and, and just keep doing things how I want to do it. Because yeah, the reality is we see people in need and we think, oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want my kids around someone like that. I don't know if I, you know, really want to have another person over again. I don't know if I agree with all their behavior. I don't know if I want to promote what they're doing. See, when it comes to be servant of all, like I said, we're not being a servant of some, we're called to be a servant of all. And and so there's no easy answers. There's, it's like... You don't get to just pick and choose who we're going to serve. And, and I think it takes wisdom and it takes courage. See, I think we tend to come from like the wisdom side. You know, in our tradition, in our background, we come from like a side where we, we think things through. We count the cost, we figure things out, we check the diary, we assess the whole situation before we make a decision. And there's a need for that, don't get me wrong. There's, that's an important side to serving. I think also there's this side where, of side of courage where, you know, I, I don't know all the answers. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out. But I see that they're in need. I'm going to help out. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. And I think we need to, probably in our context, we need to push ourselves to the courage side a little bit. Maybe it's different for you, but I just think sometimes we just need to go for it. Even when it doesn't quite all make sense that we need to pick them up, put them on the donkey and say, well, let's figure this out on the, on the road as we go. If we get to an inn, we'll pay for it. We'll work it out. You know, I wrote this down this week on my paper and it sort of hit me hard. As this, sometimes we pass by on the other side because we overanalyze ourselves out of serving. That's, that's what I do. I overanalyze myself out of serving. I think of all the reasons why I shouldn't. And I never actually think about the reasons why I should. And I think that for me was, you know, hit me hard. 
Because like I said, I can think of reasons why I shouldn't. I can think of, oh, I don't know about this. But the reality is that that's who we're called to serve. And the big question, the big question is, is not whether you serve them, but do you love them? Because like I said, we can change our behavior, sure. But even unless our hearts change. You know, do, when you see the person on, in your life that's struggling, that's, you know, fallen down, that's, you know, got some addiction, that's, you know, not living the right way, that's, you know, hurting and struggling, lonely, depressed. Like, do we actually love them? Because if we, if we love them, we'll serve them. No, but do we actually love them? Because here's the thing, I'm, I'm sure that they know that we disagree with maybe some of the choices they make. We disagree with their lifestyle. You know, you put sort of a clean person next to a dirty person, you know, you don't have to explain the, the difference. You don't have to say to the dirty person, oh, look, I don't agree with what you're doing. Like they know, they look at your life and they go, I can see that you're different to me. I can see that you've got things a bit more figured out. I see, you know, I hear that you don't swear, so you probably don't like the fact that I'm swearing every second word. Like, you don't need to tell them. They know. The question is, do they know that you love them? Because that changes everything. I might not agree with your behavior, sure, but, like, I love you enough to help and serve. Because the reality is, that's what Jesus did for us. While we're still sinners. Not when we had things all figured out. Not when we had, you know, worked our way enough. Not, that, not when we had washed ourselves up. No, while we're still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. You know, in the fourth century, Augustine wrote about this parable. And one of the things that he wrote was that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. That Jesus, like, that's what Jesus did for us. Like I said before, Jesus is the one that could pass by on the other side. He's perfect. He's holy. He knows no sin. He's righteous. Like, he's the one that, you know, I don't want to mess with this. Like, he's the one that could. He's the one that deserves to be served. And yet he gives his life and he comes and he serves us. Jesus doesn't allow the barriers of sin, of unrighteousness, or anything like that. He doesn't allow that barrier to stop. Him serving us with love. So how could we let barriers stop us? Whatever it is, we're called to be a servant of all. And that means things will get messy. We're going to have to clean some people up, bandage their wounds, pick them up, walk the rest of the way, get them fed, get them clothed, cover the costs, And you might think that there's a, a nice butt coming here that's going to sort of make it all nice and, you know, but, you know, they'll turn to Jesus in the end. But the reality is, is that sometimes it's not like that. That sometimes we serve people and it doesn't work out nicely how we write the story. <laughs> that they come to church and their lives are drastically changed or anything like that. Like it can, don't get me wrong, but... Sometimes it doesn't. Jesus, Jesus healed the ten lepers. And one of, only one of them comes back to say thank you. The rest of them just go on and live their lives and don't even acknowledge what happened. 
You know, when Jesus feeds 5,000 people in John chapter 5, and then John chapter 6, he teaches them about being the bread of life. And it says that many of his disciples left because of the hard teaching. Like surely that you figure out the hard teaching when you see a guy's just multiplied a few fish and loaves to make 5,000 people eat. Like, but no, they walk away. And at the end of Jesus' life, there's 120 people in a room committed to his way of life, committed to him. And thousands experienced his healing, his power, his servant love. And yet there's 120 left at the end. See, sometimes serving in the kingdom of God is, is about an investment where you don't focus on the return. It's about giving of yourself and not worrying about what's going to come back. Because the reality is, I think often, and you know, we know this as church, like we're going to go out and we're going to do things and we're going to help people out and it's not always going to return nicely for us the way that we would hope and like. Sometimes it can, sometimes it does. People's lives will be changed and impacted. But like Paul says, I sow the seeds, Apollos waters them, but God provides the growth. And I'm sure that there are plenty of seeds that Paul planted. There are plenty of seeds that Apollos watered. And yet sometimes God didn't provide the growth. And that's okay, because it's not about the outcome. It's not about success. It's not about numbers in our church. It's not about having a great reputation and like we're a great church that helps out or, you know, he's a really good Christian because he does all this stuff. Like it's not about us. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. And it's about whether we will obey and be faithful to him. At the end of the journey, when we get to heaven, because that's the last side, is the heaven side. When we get to heaven, Jesus doesn't say, well done, you served 20 people and converted each of them successfully. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. It's, it's, it's serving and not focusing on the return. It's about being faithful to what God has called us to do. Being obedient about loving people and serving all. You know, for me, the beautiful thing is getting to the heaven side of our life. You know, this is, you know, the idea that heaven knows the stories. You know, I remember hearing a story about a missionary who was in a a closed country. It was like 0.1% Christian or whatever it is. She served there for 16 years. 16 years, every day, loving people, sharing with them about Jesus, reading the Bible to them. And in 16 years, every day, not one conversion. Not one. In 16 years. And she passed away at the end of those 16 years with no sort of success, with no sort of fruit. And yet, shortly after, a whole bunch of other missionaries came to that country, to that town, and started witnessing, started serving, started sharing the gospel. And all of a sudden, there was a mini-revival in that 
town, in that place. All these people started coming to know God. And I go, was that because, you know, it's like, well, is that because those missionaries are better than the other one? No, it was interesting. Those missionaries wrote that what they felt like happened is that this missionary had spent 16 years there removing rocks from the soil. And that was like her role, was to move the rocks, to make the soil then suitable for seeds to be sown and for fruit to then grow. And I just think, how many stories will we hear like that in heaven, of people who served, people who you know, welcomed in a stranger, who gave up their room in their house, who invited people over for dinner, who went out of their way to pick up the man who's beaten on the street. And we hear the story at the end of how Jesus worked through that. That we might not see the results now, <clears throat> but what if it's not about the results, but it's about following Jesus. See, we need to approach our neighbor with an eternal perspective. It's not just about here and now, how it makes me feel or how it looks on my Christian resume. See, because at the end of time in Matthew 25, Jesus says that, you know, the parable of the sheep and the goats, that, you know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That's what Jesus says. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. I mean, look at the list of people. It's the hungry, thirsty, the strangers, the naked, the sick, the prisoned. People that, it, it takes a bit of mess. You know, people in prison who, you know, they've done the wrong thing. And yet Jesus says, it's whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. This is about serving, firstly, Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love the neighbor as yourself. And we serve them. As soon as it becomes about us, as soon as it becomes about me, it falls down. Proverbs said pride becomes, comes before the fall. If it becomes about us, it will fall down. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and serving him in the people that we see. And it's not a matter of earning our salvation either, because I think sometimes we can read that passage and think, okay, well, I've just got to do enough good things to make it on the right side. But it's a matter of this. If we know the love of God, we'll live the love of God. If we know God's grace, we'll live God's grace. 1 John 3.16, I think we've got it on the screen, um, says this, By this... We know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and truth. See, the reality is we know love. We know what it means to be served by the almighty God who gave his life for us. We are on the receiving end of that. And if we know that, we can't close our hearts to the people around us. John's, like God's Word says that if we've done that, like we've closed ourselves to God's love if we turn 
away from the need around us. If we know the love of God, then we live the love of God. And like John says, you know, we can talk about it a lot. <laughs> you know, we can... Let's not, t- let's not talk about this and do... Like, just... We can't love in just talking about it. You know, what's going to actually change in our hearts and in our lives? You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, one act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes we hear so many talks, so many sermons, so many podcasts, so many devotions, and yet we don't actually take the steps to obey <laughs> and to live it out. Because yeah, this morning really is, is nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing earth-shattering. It's nothing like super insightful. This morning's, you know, will it change? Will we serve the person in need that we come across on our path? Will we love them? And will that grow and develop in us? Because the reality is that go, it doesn't always happen in my life. But as we wrap up, there's one key word that I want us to focus on. There's one key word that separates the Samaritan from the Levite and the priest. And that is this word, compassion. Or in your translation, it might say to have pity on. It's got to be like one of the best Greek words ever. Um, is it on there? Oh, there. Splash Is that is that right? Is that good? Splash kanishkamai. I don't know. I just think it's a great word to say. I mean, try it. Say it. Splash kanishkamai. Yeah. I mean, imagine. Imagine. You know, sometimes we go, oh, she, you know, you're so, you're so compassionate. Imagine going to someone, you're so splash kanishkamai. Like, it's got a totally different ring to it. But the reason I love this word is because the literal translation is there, to be moved in the inward parts. It, it literally means to be moved in the bowels. It's this deep sense of compassion and love. It's, it's only used 12 times in the Bible. All of them are in the Gospels, and most of the time it's used around Jesus. So Jesus had compassion for someone. And, and what I love is that it's always followed by an action. It's always followed by an action because it's a movement. It's not just a feeling. It's not just I felt sorry for them or I felt sympathy or I felt you know, a bit of pity. It's this movement of I felt something and I did something. Every time it's used, it's followed by an action. And you can, the references are there if you want to take a photo and look them up later. But it's this movement in the inward parts, this bowel movement. You know, when things are going on in the bowels and things are moving, then things happen afterwards, yeah? Like, you got to go, you got to go. And I just think in the same way, when we have this deep sense of compassion, when we have this deep sense of compassion for people, we've got to go and do it. Like we can't hold it in. We can't keep it to ourselves. We have to go and do something. So, you know, the Gospels say that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Because they had been listening to his teaching for a long time and they were far from home. So he said he had compassion on the crowds. And so 
he then multiplied the food. Jesus says, it says that Jesus you know, came across the leper and he saw the man, he had compassion on him. And so he reached out his hand and he healed him. He saw, he had compassion, and then he did something. And so this morning, you know, really the big question is, do we have that compassion within us? Do we allow God to move us in the inward parts? Do we, do we see the suffering and the struggle and the need and the brokenness of our world? And do we actually allow it, allow it to move us to action, to move us to serve and to love the people around us? Or have we become so conditioned to it all? Have we become so focused on ourselves that we just miss it, that we just don't see it, that we pass by on the other side? You know, we're going to spend some time in a moment singing this song and singing it as a prayer to, in a way to sort of respond to this message. Because the reality is, I don't want this morning for us, for our behavior to just magically change as we go out from this place and we just start magically serving people and, you know, things just change in our behavior. This morning, my heart was really that actually our hearts would change. Because that's what happens in the presence of God. In the presence of God, hearts change, not just behavior. Because, like I said, we can serve without love. We can, we can do all these things, but... If we have not love, my prayer in this moment, these last five, ten minutes that we have, is that God would open our eyes. He would move in our hearts. He would give us that compassion. Yeah. We love because he first loved us. That we'd actually see what he's done for us and that from that place we can then follow so that's what we're called to do, to follow him. Not just do our own thing that we think is a good idea, but actually follow his example. So I'm going to invite our music team up. And like I said, we're going to sing this song, Hosanna. It's like one of the best bridges ever. I love it. It says this, heal, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I have for your kingdom's cause, as I walk from earth to eternity. I'm going to ask that you sing this. It's not a declaration. It's not like a praise. It's, it's a prayer. God, heal our hearts. Open our eyes. Show us how to love. Break our hearts. And give us what we need to be able to do this. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to we're going to sing this and I'm going to ask that if you're comfortable, just to, just to hold your hands out and just it's like I said, it's, it's nothing magical, but it's just this stance, this posture. It's a physical like Glenn. I think I've always Glenn's uh, words in my mind. It's a physical representation of a spiritual reality. That if you're saying, yes, actually, I want, I want God to do this, that you just physically display that by just holding your hands out and say, yeah, God, heal me. Heal us. Open our eyes. Show us how to love.
break our hearts. That he would set a fire within us that we can't contain, we can't control. That we've so much seen the love of God that we cannot not live it out. And that's a double negative, but that God has done something so strong within us that we can't contain it, we can't control it. So let's just pray this for us.